Letter thirty of Clarissa, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Clarissa Harlowe, or the History of a Young Lady, Volume One, by Samuel Richardson. Letter thirty, Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe, Sunday night, March the twelfth. This man, this Lovelace, gives me great uneasiness. He is extremely bold and rash. He was this afternoon at our church, in hopes to see me, I suppose, and yet, if he had such hopes, his usual intelligence must have failed him. Sure he was at church, and a principal part of her observation was upon his haughty and proud behaviour when he turned around in the pew where he sat to our family pew. My father and both my uncles were there, so were my mother and sister. My brother happily was not. They all came home in disorder. Nor did the congregation mind anybody but him it being his first appearance there since the unhappy rencounter. What did the man come for, if he intended to look challenge and defiance, as sure he says he did, and as others, it seems, thought he did as well as she? Did he come for my sake? And by behaving in such a manner to those present of my family, imagine he was doing me either service or pleasure? He knows how they hate him nor will he take pains, would pains do, to obviate their hatred. You and I, my dear, have often taken notice of his pride, and you have rallied upon him for it, and instead of exculpating himself, he has owned it, and by owning it he has thought he has done enough. For my own part, I thought pride in his case an improper subject for raillery, People of birth and fortune to be proud is so needless, so mean a vice. If they deserve respect, they will have it, without requiring it. In other words, for persons to endeavour to gain respect by a haughty behaviour is to give a proof that they mistrust their own merit. To make confession that they know that their actions will not attract it distinction or quality may be prided in by those to whom distinction or quality is a new thing. And then the reflection and contempt which such bring upon themselves by it is a counterbalance. Such added advantages, too, as this man has in person and mien, learned also as he says he is, such a man to be haughty, to be imperious, the lines of his own face at the same time condemning him. How wholly inexcusable! Proud of what? Not of doing well, the only justifiable pride. Proud of exterior advantages? Must not one be led by such a stop-short pride, as I may call it, in him or her who has it to mistrust the interior? Some people may indeed be afraid, that if they did not assume, they would be trampled upon. A very narrow fear, however, since they trample upon themselves. Who can fear this? But 
this man must be secure that humility would be an ornament to him. He has talents indeed, but those talents and his personal advantages have been snares to him. It is plain they have, and this shows that, weighed in an equal balance, he would be found greatly wanting. Had my friends confided, as they did at first, in that discretion which they do not accuse me of being defective in, I dare say I should have found him out, and then should have been as resolute to dismiss him as I was to dismiss others, and as I am never to have Mr. Soames. Oh, that they did but know my heart! It shall sooner burst than voluntarily uncompelled, undriven, dictate a measure that shall cast a slur either upon them or my sex. Excuse me, my dear friend, for these grave soliloquies, as I may call them. How have I run from reflection to reflection? But the occasion is recent. They are all in commotion below upon it. Shorey says that Mr. Lovelace watched my mother's eye, and bowed to her and she returned the compliment. He always admired my mother. She would not, I believe, have hated him, had she not been bid to hate him, and had it not been for the rencounter between him and her only son. Dr. Lewin was at church, and observing, as everyone else did, the disorder into which Mr. Lovelace's appearance had put all our family, was so good as to engage him in conversation when the service was over, till they were all gone to their coaches. My uncles had my letters this morning. They, as well as my father, are more and more incensed against me, it seems. Their answers, if they vouchsafe to answer me, will demonstrate, I doubt not, the unseasonableness of this rash man's presence at our church. They are angry also, as I understand, with my mother, for returning his compliment. What an enemy is hated, even to the common forms of civility, which, however, more distinguish the payer of a compliment than the receiver. But they all see, they say, that there is but one way to put an end to his insults. So I shall suffer, and in what will the rash man have benefited himself, or mended his prospects? I am extremely apprehensive that this worse-than-ghost-like appearance of his bodes some still bolder step. If he come hither, and very desirous he is of my leave to come, I am afraid there will be murder. To avoid that, if there were no other way, I would most willingly be buried alive. They are all in consultation, upon my letters, I suppose. So they were in the morning, which occasioned my uncles to be at our church. I will send you the copies of those letters, as I promised in my last, when I see whether I can give you their answers with them. This letter is all, I cannot tell what, the effect of apprehension and displeasure at the man who has occasioned my apprehensions. Six lines would have contained all that is in it to the purpose of my story. Clarissa Harlow End of letter 30 Recording by Ben Dutton, Lamperter, Wales